Matthew chapter 7, we are um, making our way through our Lord's uh, Sermon on the Mount, as is recorded in Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7. The subtitle, uh, for those who are, are just joining us for the first time, is uh, Lessons on the Kingdom of Heaven. We see as our Lord begins uh, this wonderful, beautiful sermon, uh, that he begins right away talking about the kingdom. And in fact, as we looked at when John the Baptist comes onto the scene, his message was, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And then we see our Lord, when he begins his ministry, he says the exact same thing, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And so when we have this sermon recorded for us, if you look back in chapter 5 and verse 3, as our Lord begins, he says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So we see throughout this section, and really throughout our Lord's ministry, how he reemphasizes and stresses the idea about the kingdom of heaven. And so we've been making our way through, and we've divided up the, the sermon into three large chunks. The first being uh, the citizenry of the kingdom what it takes to be a citizen of the kingdom. We read there and, and studied that from chapter 5. And then really the, the midsection, the biggest section of the sermon is the righteousness within the kingdom. Um, there's a usefulness that our Lord talks about with the salt and the light. And then he goes on to talk about how there's a level of expectation of righteousness that a citizen of the kingdom is to have, and that is to exceed the level of the scribes and the Pharisees, as he says there in chapter 5 and verse 20. And he goes on to talk about some of the things that the scribes and Pharisees have been teaching and sets the record straight and says that your righteousness is going to have to exceed this if you want to be a citizen and remain a citizen of the kingdom. And they come into chapter 6 and he talks about practicing your righteousness. Here are some ways that you practice your righteousness when it comes to giving alms and to praying and to fasting. Don't do it as men do it to be seen by others, but you do it to bring glory to God the Father. And so we come into uh, chapter 7, and we want to talk about this evening about judging properly. There's a very uh, familiar verse to us right here in chapter 7, verse 1, Do not judge, lest ye be judged. The world likes that particular passage, especially when they're trying to poke holes in Christianity trying to poke holes in the teachings of the Bible. They'll use this verse, and, and they'll say, look, you can't judge me, the Bible says so. Well, we want to look at this a little bit more closely and, and understand exactly what our Lord is saying. And there is indeed a way that we can judge, and we uh, are to be judges in a righteous way. So let's look at some things here as we go through. Um, as we mentioned, there is a proper way to judge others. In the first six verses here, our Lord's going to lay that out. So let's read these verses, and then we'll come back and make some, uh, make some comments and some thoughts here. Chapter 7, beginning verse 1, Do not judge, lest you be judged. For in the way you judge, you will be judged. And by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you. And why do you look at the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, and behold, the log is in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye, 
and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give what is holy to dogs, and do not throw your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet and turn and tear you to pieces. So in this we see that there is indeed a proper way to judge others. And then we can begin to understand it by, by looking at it this way. If you judge, prepare to be judged. Because the world likes to, 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 to point out there, verse 1, do not judge lest you be judged, but they stop there. And don't read verse 2, which says, for in the way you judge, you will be judged. And it will be measured, uh, and, and by your standard of measure, it will be measured back to you. So there is a proper way to be judged, or, or to judge. But if you're going to do it, you got, first you've got to understand that in the way that you judge, that's going to be judged back to you in that same measure. We also understand that it will be judged in the same way. And so what we've got to do is we've got to recognize that there's faults in ourselves. And we, got, we need to recognize that before we start picking apart our brother. So he goes on here uh, in verse 3. Why do you look at the speck that's in your brother's eye and do not notice the log in your own eye? So Jesus is... is pointing out some extremes here, right? He's pointing out the extreme of the brothers saying, look at this tiny little thing that you have in your life that's wrong, while ignoring the very big thing that's in your life that's wrong. And what does he go on to call that person? He calls him a hypocrite. So when recognizing and understanding that there is some judging uh, that, that takes place in our lives, in our everyday lives, but first we've got to understand that we don't need to be hypocritical about the judging. We need to recognize our own faults before we start looking for the faults in others. I mean, as we mentioned, to do otherwise is to be hypocritical. If we don't recognize that you know, there are things in our lives that we need to, to make right before we set out uh, looking for faults somewhere else in someone else's life, we're doing them and ourselves a disservice. We need to make sure that we're judging ourselves properly in this before we start judging others. Um, another thing to, to think about in this, that there is a judging that's going on here, and, and it's very apparent. If you look down in verse 6, it says, Do not give what is holy to dogs, and do not throw your pearls before swine. So how else do we know who the dogs and the swine are? You know, there's some, there's some judging that's, that's, that's apparent, that's inherent in this passage. That there's some, a recognition of, of who people are. And so there's some judging that has to take place. If you look over in verses 15 of chapter 7, beginning verse 15 through verse 20, our Lord says there, Beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will know them by their fruits. Grapes are not gathered from thorn bushes, and figs and thistles, are, nor figs from thistles, are they? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but the bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot produce bad fruit, nor a bad tree produce good fruit. Every tree that does not bear fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So then, you will know them by their fruits. So there's a knowing here, isn't there? And where, and where does that knowing come from? It comes from judging. It comes from a discernment. It comes from understanding 
that there are some people out there who are trying to lead you astray. And our Lord says you'll know them. You'll know them by their fruits. And we see that. And we can recognize that. And I, I think that in our human nature, one of the things that we can spot very, very quickly is a hypocrite. It doesn't take very long to spot a hypocrite. They usually reveal themselves pretty quickly. And this is what our Lord is talking about here. So we have to make some decisions and we have to make some judgments about who is coming to us and what their teaching is. John says it this way in 1 John, verse four, uh, 1 John chapter 4 and verse 1. He says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. So John here is saying, look, there's a discernment that has to be made here. There's a judgment that has to, that has to come about, because there are false teachers out there in the world. So you've got to test them. And what's inherent in this testing? There's a judging. There's discernment. There's looking for those who are trying to lead us astray and making decisions about them whether or not you're going to listen to them, whether or not you're going to follow what they have to say. And you'll know them by their fruits, is what our Lord says here in chapter 7. Another thing that we can uh, build into this and understand is that we are to judge with a righteous judgment. There are things that are right and wrong. There are things that are either in God's camp or without God's camp. And we can find those things. And it comes from our learning, our understanding, our study in the scripture. In John's gospel, in chapter 7, verse 24, he says, Do not judge according to appearance, but judge with a righteous judgment. Again, the idea here of hypocrisy. Something might appear a certain way, but it's got to be tested. It's got to be judged. It's got to be discerned. So while the world likes to use this verse 1 here um, to give excuse for their behavior and, and, and say, hey, you can't call me out on, on my behavior because the Bible says you can't. Our Lord here is teaching that there is a judgment. And the standard is God's word. And that's where the righteous judgment comes, comes in. If we are looking at people and, and, and measuring them against God's standard, then that's okay. Because we're going to be measured the same way. If we take it upon ourselves to hold them to some other standards, then we should expect them to hold us to those same standards. But if we're holding to God's standards and holding them to God's standards, then that's okay. That's the righteous judgment that our Lord's talking about. The next section here in chapter 7 is really a discerning of self. Let's read verses 7 through 11. Again, another familiar passage to us. Ask and it shall be given to you. Seek and you shall find. Knock and it shall be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and he who seeks finds. And to him who knocks it shall be opened. Or what man is there among you when his son asks him for a loaf will give him a stone? Or if he shall ask for a fish, he will not give him a snake, will he? If then, being evil, 
you know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more shall your Father who is in heaven give what is good to those who ask him? So in these few verses here, there's a, there's a discerning of self. So if we're using this uh, judging properly, uh, we see in here, in these few verses here, a discerning of self. And it starts with this ask, seek, and knock that our Lord uses. He says, ask and it shall be given to you. He'll go on to repeat. He says, he who, who asks receives. In verse 8. Seek and you shall find. He'll go on to say, the one who seeks finds. And then he says, knock and it shall be opened to you. And he repeats that again in verse 8. So in this we see uh, a couple of things. First of all, we see that this is ongoing actions. You know, our Lord uses present tense verbs here, ask, seek, knock. These are things that are ongoing. It shall be given to you. That's in the future. That will happen in the future. What does that mean? That means you've got to ask for it now, and in the future it will happen. And then he comes back and says, he who asks, or, yeah, he who asks receives. Same thing with seek. If you seek, if you're actively ongoing seeking, you shall find. When do you stop seeking? When we get down to verse 11, we're going to see that we're, these are things that we're asking of our Heavenly Father. When do we stop asking our Heavenly Father of these things? I'd say never. These are things that we need to ask for in our, in our everyday lives. These are ongoing actions. And understanding that is that there's a level of humility involved in asking the Father of these things. Come down to verse 11, it says, How much more shall your Father who is in heaven give what is good to those who ask him? So as we're, we're thinking about judging and judging properly, there's a discernment of ourselves that's built into this. There's a discernment that we have to understand that God expects us to ask him of these things. We don't just sit back and uh, let salvation fall into our laps, do we? We just don't sit back and let um, service, ongoing service, um, be done by someone else or, or fall into our laps. It's an active part of as a Christian, the things that we have to do. So there's a recognizing of our own selves that we have to be humble in what we're doing. We have to be so humble that we... Don't ever lose sight that we've got a Father in heaven that we need to ask these things. And that's why prayer is so important. Prayer is important because those, that's the time when we ask our Father these things. That's when we're seeking after. When we're knocking. That's what we do. We ask our God, our Heavenly Father, for these things. So we have to be humble in that. We have to discern ourselves rightly and never put ourselves into a position where we think that we have it all. And never put ourselves into a position where we're doing it for show. Here in chapter 6, he just got through talking all about that. About men who were doing these things uh, to please other men. And they said they have, he says, they have their reward in full. He says, but you, on the other hand, you do this. You do these things in secret where your God, your Father, will see them. And he'll give you the reward. 
So when judging properly, we have to understand that we have to be constantly judging ourselves and discerning right and wrong and discerning our own humility. Make sure that we're humbly asking our God and our Father for the things that we need. The next section in here, or in verses, beginning in verse 9, there's an understanding here of, of giving, uh, of our giving versus that of the Father's giving. He says there, a father wouldn't give a stone to his son when he asked him for bread, or, or he wouldn't give him a snake when he was asked for a fish. That's, I, I love it, you know, it's, there's humor in the Bible. It's, it's, sometimes it's difficult to see. But it comes out in places like this, when our Lord is saying, I love the, the, the fact how he puts this. If your son asks you for a loaf of bread, you're not going to give him a rock, are you? Or if he asks you for a fish, you're not going to give him a snake. And the idea here is, in, in what our Lord is saying, is he's, he's uh, being absurd, if you will, in demonstrating absurdity. Of course you wouldn't do that. Who would do that? What father would do that for their son? So we can discern ourselves in these situations. He's, he's, he's taking it to the extreme here and, and letting his audience, letting his, the hearers understand, of course you wouldn't do that, right? Of course you wouldn't do this over here. And so you're over here and you wouldn't do that for your own son. Think about what your heavenly father would do for you and wouldn't do for you. How much more does the father do for us? How much more? He says, you being evil, it says there in verse 11, if, if you then, being evil, know how to give gifts to your children, how much more shall your Father who is in heaven give what is good? So you see the contrast that he's drawing here? He's drawing the contrast between a righteous uh, judge, and that is God the Father, and us just poor sinners. And even us poor sinners know that we don't give our sons a snake or a rock. So he's drawing a contrast here. How much more will the Father do for us? In James chapter 1 and verse 17, James reminds us that every good thing given and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. You know, the good things that we enjoy, the good things that we have in this life come from the Father. And as our Lord spoke about earlier in chapter 5, you know, he gives uh, rain to the just and the unjust. You know, there's just being a human, you get to enjoy some of the blessings of God. But all the good things that come, all the good blessings that we have come from the Father. And then we have, of course, Verse 12, therefore, however you want, to be, uh, want people to treat you, so treat them, for this is the law and the prophets. This is sometimes referred to as the golden rule. What we read here in chapter, uh, chapter 7 and verse 12. And we can look at this and understand, especially in, in how we've laid out our outline for this, and this is a summation of practicing our righteousness. 
Um, you know, he, he went through great pains in chapter 6 in talking about um, practicing your righteousness. And look there back in chapter 6 and verse 1. He says there, beware of practicing your righteousness before men so as to be noticed by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. And we made the point when we were studying this that the things that are being spelled out here, giving alms and praying and fasting, those are acts of righteousness. And those are acts of faith. And there's nothing wrong with doing those things. There's nothing wrong in engaging in those things. But Jesus is making the point that you've got to be doing it for the right reasons. And you're not doing it to be pleasing to men or to be seen by men. You're doing it to be seen by your Father, and He's the one who's going to reward you. He's the one who sees what you do in secret. Don't be doing these things for the glory of, of, of man, but rather be doing them for the glory of God. Also in this, what we see here is a judge a judging with righteous judgment. However you want people to treat you, so you treat them. Doesn't that sound a lot like how you judge people, expect to be judged by them. There's a reciprocity here, isn't there? Treat others how you want to be treated. It's brilliant in its simplicity, isn't it? There's also a few other ways that it manifests itself here in, in Scripture. And our Lord says it himself. If you remember this in Matthew chapter 22. Um, when they come to him and they say, Lord, what's the greatest commandment? Remember his great response to that. There in Matthew chapter 22, beginning verse 37, he said to them, You shall love your God, your Father, with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and foremost commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Doesn't that sound like what we're talking about here in, in chapter 7 and verse 12? Treat others how you want to be treated. Love your neighbor as yourself. There's that reciprocity, you know. Expect uh, this from my brother. Well, I better give this to my brother. Paul says it this way in Romans chapter 13, verse 9. He says, For this you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And there's any other commandment it is summed up in this saying, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Isn't that what we're talking about? Hasn't Paul just hit it on the head here? Remember what, what Jesus was talking about back in chapter 5 and the things that he was, was talking about was a lot of this, about murdering and adultery and the teachings that the Pharisees and the scribes had, had been giving over the years and he set the record straight. And then he goes on to talk about putting your righteousness into practice. And so we come to chapter 7, and he starts talking about judging. He says there's a right way to judge. And there is a right way to judge. We judge by God's standards. We judge righteously. And so when he comes to verse 12, I think this is really the summation of the practicing of your righteousness. And that is treat others how you want to be treated. Love your neighbor as yourself. So our Lord has spent these 
um, pages here as we as we have them in our in our Bibles, laying out the case here, laying out what it means to be a citizen of the kingdom, and then what it means to practice your righteousness. So he's put that before his hearers. Going all the way back there to blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So now, and what we'll look at next week, as he begins in chapter 7 and verse 13, enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is broad that leads to destruction, and many there that find it. So the next section we'll be looking at is a plea to enter into the kingdom. So he's laid out the argument for the kingdom. He's talked in the Beatitudes, he talks about those, the, 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 quali- the qualities that those have who are in the kingdom. The meek, the low in spirit, the, low in spirit, the humble, all those characteristics of the people of the kingdom. And he lays out what it means to be righteous and putting that righteousness into practice and judging properly and understanding that we treat others how we want to be treated. So now beginning in verse 13 of chapter 7, here's going to be the plea to enter into the kingdom. And he's going to make that plea to come into this kingdom and be a part of it. So that's where we will begin next week. I hope this has been encouraging to you. I know this study has been good for me in, in looking at this wonderful, beautiful sermon that our Lord is giving here. And speaking to his hearers about what it means to be in the kingdom of God. We offer an invitation as we do at the close of all of our times together. If you'd like to take a songbook and turn to number 411. 411. Redeemed. Isn't it wonderful to be redeemed from sin? To be redeemed from the life of a sinner? And to be a part of that kingdom, it is a wonderful uh, citizenship that we enjoy. If you have needs of this congregation, um, if you need to um, renew your commitment to the Lord, or if you're not a child of God, whatever your needs might be, you can let them be known by coming forward as we stand and sing to encourage you.